In June, Emma and I, along with Danny Lyles and 15 other college students, spent 10 days in Seattle diving into the church's role in the world and our role in the church. Um, I really thought when I got there that I understood what those roles were, but I certainly didn't. (laughs) Um, These 10 days changed my life, and I'm hoping that what I can briefly share with you um, about how my understanding of those roles changed will at least change your day. Personally, I feel called to ordained ministry. I'm a religion major, and after CLU, I plan to go on to seminary to be a youth and family minister. And I love the idea of not only getting up in front of a congregation on a Sunday morning, but also leading that congregation through spiritual development the other six days of the week. The most important thing I learned in Seattle, though, was that you don't have to be ordained to be a minister. You may not think of it as a calling to be an engineer, but if your passion for math leads you to build a safer bridge, cool. You're helping your fellow man get from place to place. And is that not what a minister does? Sure, a pastor gets you from spiritual place to spiritual place, and an engineer gets you from physical place to physical place, but it's the same concept. And equations may not feel like worship, but trust me. (laughs) It's taken me a lot of years as a Christian to understand that worship takes place outside the sanctuary. Sure, we use a sanctuary as a place to meet for formal worship and for learning in a traditional sense, but my favorite part of worship is singing. And we sang one of my favorite hymns this morning to open the service, Here I Am, Lord, Made My Day. But what's awesome about worship is that every time I sing to myself in the shower or on the way to class or dance and sing in the kitchen with my roommates, totally counts. Totally counts. That's me using my spiritual gifts to please my God. Loving life is worshiping God. Reveling in creation is worshiping God. Using the body that God gave you to dance, to play football, to sing, to mend broken bones, that's worship. And God is pleased when you use your mind to write poetry, to balance chemical equations, to draft laws. That's worship. I mean, checking out the washboard abs of the water polo team is reveling in creation, which is therefore worship. (laughs) Do what you do in the name of Christ. In Seattle, we were working with the Emergent Church, which I'd never heard of, and I don't know if any of you guys have. Um, It's a group of churches that comes mainly out of the Christian Reform tradition, and their goal is to get the church to the people. And that means for them is instead of traditional churches, they run coffee shops, they volunteer at sailing schools, and they start community gardens. The hardest part for me to grasp about this was that they don't have a building. Like, no sanctuary, no pews, no church office, no preschool, no playground. All of these things come to my mind when I think about my home church. What's important to realize, though, is that a church is not a building. A church is people doing what they do in the name of Christ. One church that we worked with was called Dust, and it was run by a guy named Tim, and it was made up of like eight people that met in Tim's apartment for Bible study and worship services, and the rest of their worship took place in their community. Their mission was to take the church out of the building. In Seattle, we were asked to write what we thought God's mission for us was in the world. Not in a general sense of like, what is God asking of Christians? But like, what is God asking specifically me to do? I wrote that my mission was to, is, Uh, to love others so passionately that it is obvious that that love is Christ's. This doesn't mean that I approach every conversation with, hi, I'm Casey, and I love you because Christ first loved me, because that's so awkward. (laughs) It means that I approach every relationship with the knowledge that my wave across Memorial Parkway, my hey, cute earrings, or my hug after common ground could be the difference between a good day and a bad day for someone. And that's huge to me on a really basic level. And while those may seem like little things, they're so powerful because I do what I do, in the name of Christ. In the lesson that Kayla read, 
we find the disciples stuck in the building. They've bitten off more than they can chew. Sound like anybody you know? The involvement fair? Nobody's here. That's because they're there. I have this problem where I like to be in charge of everything, so I volunteered to be on every committee ever, and the disciples did that too. So instead of doing epic stuff like healing the sick and praying for the dying and preaching the gospel across the known world, they're setting tables for the poor. And while this task is in no way unimportant, it was slightly menial for the caliber of work the disciples are capable of. So what do they do? Delegate. They knew that there were people in their community who were full of the spirit and of wisdom who were totally capable of taking over this job. They knew that every member of their community had something to offer. And while it was maybe a little more impressive to be off gallivanting and preaching the gospel in words, those who stayed behind to feed the widows were preaching the gospel in action. St. Francis of Assisi says that, Preach the gospel at all times. If necessary, use words. Act 6 is a perfect example of that. The disciples and these seven new men were doing what they did best in the name of Christ. They were meeting people where they were. They weren't sitting in their synagogues waiting for the widows to come asking for food. They were setting tables for the widows, bringing to them what they needed. One of my favorite things that Jesus says is in Matthew 25, when he talks about when we visited him in prison, fed him when he was hungry, clothed him when he was naked, welcomed him when he was a stranger. His audience is confused, as usual, and he replies, whenever you did this for the least of my brothers, you did this for me. Here at CLU, we have a really strong commitment to service. You all know we have fall and spring service days, plus Lord of Life service retreats, plus plenty of service opportunities from the Community Service Center throughout the semester for your club and organization, or just you. That's what Matthew 25 is talking about. You don't have to build a house in Mexico to do service. You can hold a baby in a hospital. You can make blankets in your dorm room. You can wave across Memorial Parkway. Do what you do in the name of Christ and meet people where they are. Amen. When I applied and was accepted to attend the Life Matters Conference in Seattle, I understood it to be a discernment event, helping sophomore and junior standing college students determine whether they were called into the ministry. The event was put together by two seminaries, and thus I assumed, incorrectly of course, that it was about being a pastor. Quite frankly, my assumptions were far from the truth, and boy, was I relieved about that. I have and do continually wrestle with a call to become a pastor, but I love my biochemistry major, the coursework that I get to study, and the labs that I am able to participate in. So, I constantly wonder, how does this play into my call in ministry? Well, the details I'm still not quite sure about, but the most important lesson that I learned in Seattle was that living the gospel does not mean being a pastor. I learned and discovered that doing whatever I do with passion is a way to preach the gospel. This came to life before my eyes in Seattle, incarnate in dust. Dust is, according to their website, a community of people seeking to join God in bringing heaven to earth in every conceivable way, or as we would call it, a church. What I saw in dust changed my life. Of the things we learned about dust that were startling, the foremost was that they don't have a building, and it's not one of their priorities. For me, this was a shocker. I had no clue how this could possibly work. I had grown up knowing that church wasn't just a building, but in my mind, it played a pretty crucial part in the mix. So, my biggest question was how? How does this possibly work? How do you preach the gospel? How do you meet new people? 
How do you become a part of the community? How is this a church? Part of the answer comes from the old wise words of St. Francis, preach the gospel at all times. If necessary, use words. The other part was something that I had never seen before in a church. I mean, I had seen it attempted, but never so wonderfully and beautifully and successfully executed. I would have to say that Dust and some of the other emerging ministries in the area definitely had a corner on it. And that is the part of meeting people where they are at. Dust works so hard in their community that they don't need a building for people to know their name. They volunteer at the Center for Wooden Boats on the lakefront and work in the community garden behind the community center. The food they raise helps a food bank provide fresh produce. They support the women's shelter and spend numerous hours at the courthouse advocating and pleading for affordable housing in their neighborhood. At all of these places, they meet new people to whom they can show Christ's love simply through their actions. Another church in the area, Sanctuary, owns and operates a coffee shop that's main purpose is to serve the community and is staffed by volunteers. They see the coffee shop as an opportunity to minister and preach the gospel meeting those Washingtonians where their heart is, at a local coffee shop. They desire to build the church, the body of Christ, from the outside in. I see so many similarities between these ministries and the ministry we heard about of St. Paul, especially in Athens. Paul enters this community and is saddened and distressed by the idols he sees there. But instead of attacking, attacking and berating the Athenians for all the idol worship, he does something extraordinary— He meets them where they are already at. He takes something they are familiar with, this unknown God that they worship, and proclaims the gospel that we know. St. Paul is able to see the light in the dark. He sees the idol worship and praises their religiousness. The church communities that I witnessed in Seattle exemplify this type of ministry. They meet those already in the community garden and see the effort that they are already putting forth to grow food for others, as a work of Christ. They take the work that people are already familiar with and already doing, supporting a nonprofit coffee shop, advocating for affordable housing, working to build the community, and see the gospel already in action. So how does this experience play into my discernment process? Well, I know that I don't have to be a pastor to preach the gospel. I can already do that through my own actions in my everyday life. How does this play into my vocation? Well, that's still something I'm not quite sure about, but right now I'm okay with that. I'm sure that wherever I end up, wherever this biochemistry degree takes me, my actions can speak of Christ's love for me and all people. I will have the wonderful opportunity to follow in St. Paul's footsteps, meeting people where they already are in their lives.